Right away, my gut told me it wasn't no accident. At first, it appeared to be an accident when an SUV was found crashed at the bottom of a steep hill. But an autopsy would reveal that 40-year-old Shannon Hercut was already dead before the car went flying off of a curvy mountain road in East Tennessee. It's an unsolved murder that got national attention and tore a family apart amidst accusations the killer was her own father. I'm Leslie Ackerson. And I'm John North, and this is Appalachian Unsolved, the podcast. So you look at these pictures of Shannon Hercut. She's really gorgeous. She has a beautiful, bright smile. You know, I think it's cliche to say she looked full of life, but she did. She looks like she'd be really friendly and easy person to talk to. These old pictures, she's just got a big grin, these pretty eyes. Family said that she was somebody who was always very attentive to her appearance, so much so that she wouldn't roll the car windows down because she didn't want her hair messed up. You look at her and you think, that's a very attractive woman. And she had many other uh, attributes that people would find uh, attractive. She was an extremely successful businessman. She was highly self-motivated, uh, driven to succeed. She had employees. She was a boss. She was making money. She drove a nice-looking car. She's the kind of person that she'd walk by you and you would turn around and follow her. She was rambunctious, a go-getter, not afraid to do anything. That voice is Shannon's sister, Penny, who has been her biggest advocate since her death. Penny will call us each year since Shannon's death and share with us her, her words of loss, her feelings, and her continued push to get answers in this case. She was a well-to-do businesswoman. She had money with her nightly rentals. She was really well known in the Sevier County area, which is really popular for tourists. People come up there to visit the Smokies, Gatlinburg, Dollywood, and you could stay in a cabin owned by Shannon, perhaps. Um, she had this really successful business in Pigeon Forge. It was a cabin rental business called Auntie Bellum's Realty and Nightly Rentals, and it was very successful. She had 130 cabins in her rental business. Obviously made good money, she had a nice car, and, and people knew her in the area. People knew her well. It is interesting to me that uh, she lived by herself. Uh, her family said she was a very private person. Knowing all of that 11 years later, I've always wondered, because the sheriff's office has been so closed mouth about this case, did she have a boyfriend? Did she have a partner? Did she have a, a female partner? I don't know. That You always start looking for the people that are closest to the victim. Uh, but she was a very private person, and I think even her sister has told us in the past you know, she just kind of kept some things to herself. She didn't tell, you know, me or my mom a lot of stuff. It was the summer, August 2009. At the time we're recording this podcast, that was 12 years ago. 12 years, a, a long time. It was a Monday. And OnStar, which is, you know, found in the vehicles and can connect you to um, medical professionals, it responded to a car crash that happened in Pigeon Forge. When responders got there, they found a Cadillac SUV at the bottom of this really steep slope. And inside, they found Shannon dead. We're gonna hear from Sevier County Detective Jeff McCarter in his words about what happened. 911 received a call that was initiated by OnStar of a vehicle accident. Officers responded and found a black Cadillac Escalade 
down an approximately 125-foot embankment. It's a rural road. It's on a mountain. We had to repel to go down to the actual scene. And if you've ever been a visitor to really anywhere in the mountainous areas of Sevier County, those roads are curvy. They are windy. They're a little bit scary if you're driving them. That road was a tricky road, pretty typical of Sevier County. Uh, small, winding, certainly not the kind of place you'd feel comfortable driving at night, but this, we, we, well, we don't know when the vehicle went over, but certainly it's the kind of uh, road that you have to pay close attention to. And there was a guardrail, I think, at least for part of the roadway. Uh, I don't know if she jumped the guardrail or not, but or if the vehicle jumped the guardrail, but it appears that the vehicle had smacked at least part of the earth off the road before it went off. As you say, it was a cliff, basically. And if you look it up on like Google Maps or on any map device, it was Walker Trail Road, kind of near the Fox Run Resort area, technically in Sevierville. And if you also notice, it's kind of just right behind where Dollywood is, where people are really familiar with Dollywood. So responders go to this area, they see this car crash and they think, wow, this is what has happened. This car has gone flying over the edge uh, of this cliff. Shannon is there and the first reaction is, oh, she died uh, as this vehicle went off the roadway. That's what happened. And it stayed that way for a few days. The vehicle was banged up, but there are a couple things that the family would later say, no, this isn't right. For one thing, the window was down on her side. And as I mentioned, According to the family, she would have had it up. And the other thing was, she didn't have her seatbelt on. And the family says she was also always extremely careful about doing something like wearing her belt. 125 feet down. They actually had to rappel down to even get close to the scene. That's 10 stories, or more than 10 stories, Leslie. I mean, that is a long way to go down. And you look at pictures of the car, and it's interesting because yeah, it's banged up on the left front driver's side and along the left, kind of the quarter panels on the left-hand side. You know, what struck me as kind of odd looking back at that, there's no, like the, the windshield, it's not busted. Um, it's just interesting that as it went down that steep cliff that she didn't hit it, her body didn't hit it, nothing hit it. It's preserved. The left-hand side of the vehicle is messed up. It's a curvy, windy road. She would have known about it because I think she had some properties up near there. She would have known how to drive it. Uh, if she was going any kind of a speed at all, there was no indication that she tried to brake before the vehicle went off the side of the cliff. There was, I think, one bit of indication in the dirt where the vehicle hit, uh, or at least nudged nose into the dirt before it went right over. There's a whole lot there that would tell you this is not something where somebody just uh, went off the road vi uh, uh, violently, more it was a deliberate act. So we did talk to the Sevier County Sheriff's Office about this, and they do remember going down, repelling to the scene, and trying to investigate what had happened. So right off the bat, they think this is a horrible, terrible, unfortunate car accident. But days later, things changed. An autopsy was ordered by the medical examiner's office. Uh, during that autopsy, it was determined that her injuries were not consistent with an automobile accident. Uh, on Thursday, myself and another investigator were summoned by the district attorney general's office, and the case was turned over to us to investigate as a homicide. 
She's got wounds in the back of her head and uh, that's not something that she would have gotten from going down the cliff. I think the other thing is, if I'm remembering correctly, at least the family told us, they checked the sort of the, I don't know what you call it, the diagnostics or what the Cadillac was showing uh, in terms of its speed and it was only going something like seven miles an hour when it went over the cliff at from the point where it left the roadway until it went over the cliff. Seven miles an hour, as you know, is barely moving. It is certainly not 35 or 40 miles an hour, which would be a huge difference. There were some other strange things, too. You mentioned the seven miles per hour that the computer in the car told them she was driving. There also weren't any airbags that deployed. You would have thought that once the vehicle hit nose first something going down it would have deployed I don't remember if that had side airbags or not but certainly uh, you would have thought the front airbag would have deployed I don't know it's a whole lot it's like huh what and and after I think the left front tire was blown out maybe the rear uh, driver's side the left front tire was blown out maybe the driver's side back tire was as well but you just think there's a lot about this that just doesn't make any sense after getting this autopsy report and taking a different look at the case, investigators now believe Shannon was killed in her home and then her body placed in that vehicle. At that point, everybody was a suspect. When we look at anyone that may have a motive to harm someone, generally people don't kill people for no reason. In my experience, there's always a motive behind a homicide. So naturally, they look at people close to the victim, start asking questions. And you know, this definitely stirs up some confusion, some frustration between the family members themselves and created quite a bit of drama for Shannon's family after she died. You always start looking at the people closest to the victim. And that could be loved ones, um, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a sibling, a parent. And it also would be uh, an employee. You would also be looking at employees because sometimes the reason that I want to kill you is because of money or something that I perceive that you've done to me. Greed. There's often sex. Sex and money are often what you hear in terms of why a homicide occurs. And I mean, that would be my guess. 11 years later, looking at this thing, 12 years later, I'd say, it was somebody close to her, and it wasn't a stranger or a random act. Shannon's sister, Penny, feels off about the entire thing. She was actually on vacation when she found out that Shannon had been killed. It's very clear. I'll never forget it. I was in Myrtle Beach. I was walking on the beach collecting shells. Right away, my gut told me it wasn't no accident. There's, there has to be more to this. And she starts to suspect that Shannon's father, Ted, has something to do with this murder. You mentioned that Penny was on vacation in August of 2009. She has said she was at Myrtle Beach with her father and other family members. That's important, keep that in mind, that the father was also in South Carolina at the time on vacation. There was just so many red flags that day that I seen with my father. And 
and more, of course, along the years after my sister's murder. I just know what he was incapable of, but at the time, I didn't feel safe enough to really come out and say what I felt because I knew my life would be in danger or my daughter's. And when you ask her about motive, Penny says that she believes their father, Ted, was angry that he was not included in Shannon's will. It was always something with my father, some with somebody. Yeah. It didn't have to just be he was Shannon or myself. It was always with somebody. It's like he wasn't happy if he wasn't fighting with yeah. a neighbor or any a family member, anybody. Mm-hmm. So Penny brought her accusations against her father on the Dr. Phil show, and this case got national attention. It's, it's interesting that she did that. It's kind of sad as well that it came to that point in 2015 that she went on Dr. Phil, and I think um, Ted's estranged wife went on the show as well. I remember watching it sitting in the newsroom. We have these three big monitors that sit on the wall, and we knew that Penny was going to be going on the Dr. Phil show. That's on in the afternoons regularly, and we're sitting there watching it. And it's it's kind of like a car wreck in the sense that you're that you're watching something that you would just as soon not see because it's pretty painful to watch this family sort of going after itself. Uh, nobody really likes to see that, but it was happening right in front of us. I think. Um, I think the show acknowledged that Ted didn't know what was about to happen to him. He was waiting in the wings, I think, as Penny was talking to Dr. Phil. He may have even thought they were going to reconcile because they had had a rough couple of years. And And then it's his turn to come on and Penny says, you hired somebody to do this to Shannon. He was not expecting me to spill the beans on him and go to Dr. Phil and do it national. And a lot of people don't understand why I didn't do this a long time ago, but I had to protect myself. And we're going to play a clip now of this exchange that happened between Penny and her father on Dr. Phil uh, back in January of 2015. You have paid someone to kill Shannon. And don't sit there and act like you're so innocent. I don't know where you're getting your story. I have been cleared by the sheriff's department. He's lying. He's a pathological liar. And on the Dr. Phil show, Penny accused their father of wanting to kill Shannon because he wasn't included in her will. Now, Dr. Phil did look through some records, and in 2003, Ted Hercut was included in Shannon's will. But three years later, 2006, this would be three years before Shannon's death, he was taken out of her will. It was changed. Ted at the time denied knowing about anything about her will. Shannon told me that, Dad, I want to put you half on my business, that you own half of it. I said, no, (laughs) Shannon, I don't want that. Why is it upsetting for you to hear this? It's a lie. (laughs) Penny, to this day, still holds on to that accusation. She still believes her father was responsible for Shannon's death. I will say the Sevier County Sheriff's Office, and later they bring the TBI, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, as they often do when they need a little bit more resources and help with the case to assist, never said anything about Ted being involved. He was never faced with any charges. They never said they had any evidence 
against him. That came from authorities of what they have had over the years. And Ted continued to deny that he had any knowledge of Shannon's death, that he wasn't involved, remained his innocence. Back in 2009, we spoke with Ted Hercut a month after his daughter's death. And this is what he said. I wake up crying. No, my baby ain't there no more, and it, people's thinking I'm saying it, and people are calling me and accusing me of it. Now, Ted is no longer here. He actually died in November of 2017. This is an unusual case in that you have the family saying, or at least some members of the family saying, we know who did it, and the law enforcement authorities going, no, we don't think it's him. That's an odd case in all the cases that we've covered. That may be the first one I can remember that has been like that, where you've got this disconnect. I, I wish we could tell everybody that we have great confidence in more facts about what happened to Shannon Hercut. We don't. Sevier County has not released a whole lot. We've learned more from the family about what happened. I mentioned the OnStar data which the family has told us about. I think even the wounds to Shannon I think we could have gotten from the family. Uh, there's more apparently according to Penny there was evidence of a struggle uh, in Shannon's home. Some overturned or broken bottles, some blood I think on the refrigerator maybe. Clearly evidence of a struggle inside the house. We don't know that from uh, the sheriff's office. They have released so little kind of a characteristic of Sevier County not to come forward with that stuff. Uh, I don't even know if we've gotten a police report, Leslie, which is also kind of unusual. We usually at least get something like that. But it's, it's a very sad case in the sense that this, we watched a family sort of turn against itself. I have no doubt, based on the how strong Penny has felt about it, that her dad was a strong character and feuded with family members and that there was some bad blood between them. Ted Hercut is no longer here to defend himself or even answer, so we don't know. My father had every opportunity to prove me wrong or try to prove his innocence, but he never did. So, and I wished, I wished he would have. I mean, I would have been 100% relieved. And I would have gone on national TV and, you know, apologize. But there's a, you know, there's a big part of me that, uh, or a whole part of me that knows he, he had a, a hand in this big time. You know, we catch up with Penny every year. She advocates, can we talk about Shannon's story? Again, this is so important to me to continue to push for answers. And we, we did speak the other day and she mentioned that um, there were other people that wanted to come and investigate a TV show, that wanted to come in and help, but was getting turned down by the Sheriff's Department. She wants to keep pushing on this. Now, when we go to the Sheriff's Department, um, I did talk to Jeff McCarter, who is an investigator there. And he says they are still trying efforts. They do open this case up every so often. And when you walk into the Sevier County Sheriff's Office um, area, you pass a photo of Shannon. It's hanging out there. So not only myself, but everybody that walks through this investigative division sees her picture and, and that case is never forgotten. I think there's always hope that a case can be solved. We're not gonna stop working on this case. And, and I really believe that there's somebody out there that could help us. 
if they would just come forward. But they ran into something difficult with Shannon's murder. They thought it was a car accident. Days later, an autopsy comes back, and you wonder, was everything important about that crime scene cleaned up? Was the car extracted? What had happened to her body? You lose precious time. Days go by where that initial fresh crime scene could have given answers to. What happened to the vehicle? Were, did they try to get prints off the vehicle? Certainly, there are members of the family, even Ted himself, uh, who I think turned to somebody who had been in law enforcement in some respect to sort of think about what could have happened. There certainly was a suggestion early on that because law enforcement viewed this initially as a, an accident, as a traffic accident, that they didn't process the vehicle as closely as they could have. Lots of questions, lots of reasons to say, if we could go back in time, we would have done things differently. As soon as the Tennessee State Patrol handed it to the Sheriff's Department, which was like four days later, and that's a long time for a murder, um, they went to her house and they seen a lot of uh, things that were red flags. Quicker you can start investigating the case, of course, the better. Uh, but in that case, you know, that was kind of out of our control. But immediately, once it became a case for us, we immediately took possession of that vehicle and obtained a warrant and searched her house. We found things in the house that give us some clues of what it might have transpired. Well, of course, in any investigation, the evidence is what you get. You know, it, it's whatever is there, you know, and what we find. And so I can't talk about that evidence because it's still an open case, but we did obtain some evidence. And even today as we speak, that some of that evidence is being reanalyzed because of the technology that's been developed. Uh, they did an autopsy. I wish I could tell you what we know, but we don't have that paperwork in front of us. We didn't get those records, haven't been released. There's a whole lot that we don't know. Did they do a toxicology report on Shannon? What did that show? I don't know. Uh, do we have an estimated time of death? I don't know. Uh, it probably exists, but I can't tell you. I, I saw one report in, I think it was in the Mountain Press, certainly in Sevier County, by one uh, press outlet that said from the lead investigator, if I told you who we think may have done it, then you would know the obvious motive. So I don't know what that means. I'm guessing money, but I don't know. You know, 12 years is a really long time for something to sit this cold. And as we know, when a lot of things sit for a lot of years, investigators' family hopes that money will talk. There is a reward in this case, a pretty hefty one, too. $45,000. It's, it's grown over the years. Back when Shannon was killed, her father and stepmother sent a letter to the governor, who was uh, Phil Brudson at the time, asking him to assign TBI to the case, and the state also put in $20,000. I don't know if that was under Governor Brudson at the time, but the state put in that money of $20,000. Her business, which went to her sister and a cousin after her death, Auntie Bellums, put in $5,000, and her sister Penny put in $20,000 of her own money. That reward is still active, and that money would go to someone who had information about the case that could secure a conviction of someone. But nobody has talked, even for a large amount. 
if the killer says nothing and nobody else knows about this or has any inkling, then the secret of the homicide stays with the killer, obviously. And the killer's not going to be motivated to call in um, to get the reward. So how many nibbles have there been on that? I don't know. It's 12 years later, and this case is still open. And uh, near as I can tell, we've gotten no closer to resolving it. Again, think about these facts. It's a staged scene where somebody has put her body in her own vehicle and basically let it go over a cliff to make it look like a car crash. That's how it was assumed by law enforcement. And there may have been some key things that were missed as a result that we'll maybe never get back. You know, Leslie, I was thinking about this case the other day when we were talking about reviewing it since we're on the anniversary of August the 3rd. I even wondered if it would be possible at some point, they've talked about that there's been some further testing that's been done or some further testing on evidence. I wonder if it will be necessary at some point to exhume Shannon, to bring her back up, to do some further examination of her body. I don't know. There's one sort of oddity about this case. Well, it's not the only one, but there is one oddity that's worth mentioning. After Shannon is killed some months later what was it maybe october or november i think november of, of 2009 2009 there's an odd thing that happens outside her business her office annie bellum the um, cabin rental and real estate business somebody fires a gun repeatedly at the business uh, i don't think any nobody was hurt i don't even know that it was even open at the time it's kind of an odd thing Penny accused her dad of being the person who did it, and I think she says he even acknowledged that he had done it, which is an odd, <laughs> whatever his motive, if Ted did it, it's an odd sort of thing to do. Is it an expression of anger, um, frustration? Is it trying to throw the case off? Is it, is it him saying, I am the killer, and here's a reason you ought to look at me? Who knows? Again, we can't ask him because he's been gone for almost four years, but it's just kind of another one of those odd details of the case that stick out. You, you look at it and you go, all right, what does that mean? Why did that happen? If Ted did it, why did he do it? If somebody else did it, why did they do it? We don't know. Penny, this still affects her greatly to this day. She moved out of state. She sold her shares of antebellum. She actually says a lot of their other family member won't help her get any justice for Shannon, but she wants to keep pushing for this year after year um, and get some answers. You know, I'm very disappointed in the Sevier County law enforcement investigators. I'm very disappointed in uh, TBI and the DA's office and and I hate to say that, uh, I truly think the investigators, the law enforcement has just set it on a shelf right now. If it wasn't Ted, and if the real killer is out there, that person is staying very quiet. And I guess I have to ask the question, if it wasn't Ted Hercut who killed Shannon, did the killer get what they wanted? Whatever it was they were seeking, did they get it?
I still need closure. I still need justice for Shannon, even though I still, it's so fresh in my gut that I know my dad had something to do with this. You know, yes, he's he's been gone, but I that person that did it, or people that did it, are still out there. And we need to find out who is responsible. I would love to get that phone call and say, Penny, we got the people that did this to your sister and we're gonna go to court, we're gonna put him in jail, we're gonna prosecute him, we're gonna get justice, finally. Shannon would be more than 50 years old now, which is a little bit hard to believe. And you know, I'm just sort of thinking, imagining in my head what she'd be doing if she would, were still alive. She'd be probably even more successful today than she was, probably live in a bigger house. Um, considering what we learned about family relations, <laughs> you know, probably still be dealing with that. But it's a shame on so many levels that this has happened and we just have so many questions and very few answers. She was a fighter. I know she tried to fight through this ordeal and um, but she just didn't quite make this fight. If you have any information about the death of Shannon Herka, you can call 1-800-TBI-FINDS there might possibly also be a reward available if you're able to give information that can secure a conviction in an answer in this case.